welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. ChargeHub is the largest network-independent, community-driven EV charging app, helping over 1 million annual users find all public charging stations in the U.S. and Canada, check their availability, and pay for their charging with a single account. ChargeHub launched its interoperability hub, the Passport Hub, to support the EV industry to easily interconnect and enable large-scale roaming to drivers. Download the app today to improve your EV experience. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica. And joining us today is Sarah Nichols, director of the Land of Sky Clean Vehicles Coalition in North Carolina. And yeah, could you give us a little bit of background on who you are, how you got to this role, and also what this is? What Because it's, uh, I think it's probably very well known regionally, but and it looks like you're doing real genuine leadership and in innovative stuff in the clean vehicle space, but it's not clearly not nationally prominent uh, organization or, or agency. Thanks, Zach. It's great to be here today. And uh, we, you said innovation specifically. We, we the last two years have been winning innovation and creative awards from the Department of Energy for how we've been taking a spin on what the work of a clean cities coalition. So some of your listeners might be familiar with what a clean cities coalition is. It's a Department of Energy designated program to help be a grassroots local program that in- increases alt fuel usage across the country. We serve Western North Carolina in the Land of Sky Clean Vehicles Coalition. How many are there? How many of these clean cities and clean vehicle coalition programs are there? Oh, a bunch. They're across the country. There's a map online and I probably should know that answer. Is it over a hundred or more like a bit? I, I think it's a little less than that. I will, you know, spill the beans a little bit. The the Department of Energy is trying to grow coalitions right now. And so Good that idea. might be adding some or uh, expanding coalition boundaries. And they're working with coalitions right now to do that. Yeah, I've worked with a couple in the past on a national EV kind of plan uh, project that's still ongoing. But <laughs> but um, yeah, there's so it's great stuff that's sort of like trying to make all the change we need at the local and regional and state level. And I think it's really where the work is often done. But when I saw what you guys are working on, I was like, wow, this is a really great selection of of programs and projects. So we'll get into that in a second. But I just want to also get background. How did you end up in this role? How did you what's your background that got you here? Sure. I have a, a biology degree in, um, you know, from a school here in Western North Carolina, Mars Hill University interested in natural resources and how they intersect with community development. I have a background in water quality mainly, and at some point I landed at a regional council of government, Land of Sky Council of Government, located in Asheville, North Carolina, to do regional planning. I have a few sectors, and clean vehicles happens to be one of them. I thought it had a lot of growth potential, and we had a previous director at Land of Sky doing this work 
who was uh, a leader in this space and has done amazing groundwork laid for me. So I've been in the coalition now about three years after it's, it's been here much longer than that. And he did the hard work of when these conversations were really difficult. Now there's a better understanding of how electric vehicles and alternative fuels is probably the way of the future. Yeah. And our team was presenting at a climate week EV event in Asheville and connected with you. So uh, this is how this podcast came about. But you really have some some innovative programs, as you noted, DOE is recognizing you for that. Can you, yeah, I mean, just going to give you the floor. Can you talk about what you're doing? That's so cool. Sure. So we've had a couple of, of winning projects so far, one of which is uh, we were blessed to get to work with the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians it's in Western North Carolina. They got North Carolina's first electric school bus, and they the state was very excited about that project. It was a team effort with different grant programs at different levels. My predecessor, Bill, came to uh, our partner uh, with the Eastern Band and recommended, said, you should go after this. And they, ju- they just kind of said yes. Uh, they're, they're innovators. They have a, an ethic for seven generations. And they started to put together the application. We, we supported them with that effort. They got the bus. Uh, the governor came out. There was a, a big ceremony. And they wanted to do something that was more for them. And they came to us in a meeting and said, we want to have a drag race. And I said, let's have a drag race. You know, we know that this tech is fun. They're fun to drive. And at the time, I had not driven a school bus ever. But I figured if my car is this fun to drive, then I know for school bus drivers, it, it must be the same. So we we turned it into a, an education-themed event. So we brought in a lot of regional superintendents, school board members, school board fleet, transportation leaders, to this event, it was very fun, but we raced a, a diesel electric school bus against the the new electric school bus. The morning of was very exciting. So I had already pre-planned, clearly the electric was going to win, you know, the, the torque, the the fun, the fact that it's new. We thought this is, this is a shoe win. I already got the, uh, the trophies made in advance because we know who's going to win. The morning of the the chief decides he wants to drive the electric school bus. He had not driven it before. And oh it was my. best of three heats. <laughs> News is out there. There's a crowd. Best of three heats. The, the diesel wins the first round. And I'm a little nervous <laughs> at this point. They they coach the chief a little bit in the second round. Like you really need to hit the pedal. You need oh to my just get it on the front end. It wasn't a, a very long stretch that the race was happening. The electric school bus wins the second heat. So did it he, was very exciting. Did he just basically not step all the way down on the pedal on the first? He, I mean, I, it was his first time driving the bus. I think he didn't lay into it a, yeah. fast enough. But what I we mean, also learned is there's governors and stuff on the electric school oh, bus that throttle. The, they won't the let turn. you drive it like a Tesla. They won't let you drive it like wild, right? <laughs> yeah. we, we didn't know that Thomas, this is Carolina Thomas bus. They were there. They were on the panel and they kind of talked us through that later that 
the point of a school bus is not to go really yes. fast and quick. So they they well, have it's funny. School- I would have had the same thought as you. I'm like, this is just gonna blow it away. This is gonna, gonna be blow fine. away. <laughs> not realizing they I mean it's very logical. It's not like you couldn't have foreseen that they put these things on a school bus, but I didn't cross my mind until you said it. So yeah, I guess I guess that makes sense. You don't want school bus drivers. I'm grateful for their forethought. It made for an interesting three heat race to do it that way. Because we didn't know that at the time. What is what is going on? We thought it was just on the driver's side. They the 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 second heat he won the and then so then it was really down to the third heat, which it barely won. (laughs) So electric school bus did came through. Oh, the, the the diesel bus won. No, no, no. The, oh, the electric, electric bus. bus. Okay, the I electric said, bus won. So my yeah. trophy. So the chief worked. came through. Chief did his came job. through. But I have and... had that issue a lot with. I've given tons of test drives in te- in a in a Tesla in Europe mostly, and it was always hard to get people to understand. You can just step all the way down, like just step on it all the way, all the way to the floor. Yeah. Uh, people, you know, try to ease into it like a like a traditional, you know, fossil powered car and. Uh, and miss the and you're like oh you didn't really you didn't really experience it because i you, i can tell you didn't step on it you know but of course the tesla is not governed like uh like a school it bus. isn't and i i think that that chief is a tesla driver so he is oh. familiar with electric but maybe he, he also was... thought it's gonna be so easy <laughs> maybe. but i don't i don't know i don't know but well that's interesting that's funny it gave us an opportunity to put a you know dozens of people on of school leadership on that bus they they rode it over to the race they rode it back to the facility where we had a training program and it helped us create relationships with those school professionals answer the questions they have north carolina has uh i'd say hard to navigate rules on how school buses are purchased which is how the Eastern Band got the first one is their autonomy allowed them to circumvent some of the North Carolina policies, but it also helps them be a, a leader and a demonstration across the state. They now have six sitting on the lot. Once they got one, they're like, we're all in, let's keep going. They're going to put their whole fleet in electric. I think that's 14 buses and they're working on a really innovative vehicle to grid project. So, so three three questions or... Maybe four. So one, how much were you sweating during that third heat? (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, like, oh my gosh, I don't even have trophies. During my talking points for how we pivot to Uh, how speed is, you know, that the point is not a race, that there's these other benefits of electrification. Already worked. (laughs) And then, do you have videos of of the race online? We do have some videos. Yeah, I'd love to include it. We'll, We'll we'll put the disclaimer in there, you know. Uh, but you know, would love to include that in a story about this. And then third, so, I mean, the smooth drive, the, the torque is, of course, the fun of EVs. The smooth ride, I, I've heard from bus drivers, it just makes much less fatigue, leads to much less fatigue, makes them feel much better, not with that yeah. rumbling, idling all day long. Have you guys found that is a is a key benefit that bus drivers are noticing there? Pros and cons. Yes, they they like the ride. There's a lot of tech on the bus. It's very quiet. And some bus drivers actually complain about the quietness because they have to listen to what the kids are talking about. Oh, my. That's (laughs) interesting. That's really that's I can totally imagine that. Yeah. 
So school leadership tend to like the quiet because it might calm everything down or they would be more aware of issues that might going on with the students, the, the right. bus drivers. Maybe bus drivers like, are just like, noise. I don't want to hear these kids. Like, <laughs> I I, they're too loud. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they, they, it's also performed really well in the mountains, which I think is a, that was a learning. We, we hear that concern a lot here from people, but the region on it is pretty strong. And the boys club mentions that they can kind of take this anywhere they want to go. Yeah. Being in Florida, I wouldn't even, wouldn't cross my mind, but yeah, you think about the, the torque must be very helpful going up the mountain and then the, the region going down. So that's, that must be really a, a nice benefit for the drivers. So the, the VDG project, can you exp- explain that more? What's what's going on with that? That's a pilot with Duke Energy. It hasn't worked yet. We had a workshop just last week where we kind of learned where they're at and saw some of the equipment they'll be using on it, but more to come on on how that's going in the future. Okay. It, and you said it's I a just, Thomas, Thomas Electric School Bus? Yeah, they have Carolina Thomas school buses, Duke Energy is their utility provider, Proterra was a charging provider on that project. Oh, cool. Interesting. Yeah. So that's definitely exciting, fun stuff. I I would like to see a, a school bus race, a really good one on YouTube without, with like the, the governor's disabled, dis- deactivated, whatever, you know, that would be, that would be, vi- that could go viral. I was, I was immediately like, oh, I got to get this video. I've never seen a video of two school buses racing like this. It's going to be epic. Since, <laughs> because of you know how you described it, it might not be so um, viral, but I'm sure it could be if if they gave the school bus you know a little bit of a track mode, uh, <laughs> so to speak. Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. If you enjoy clean tech talk and clean technica, please consider pitching in a few dollars a month at cleantechnica.com/support. That's cleantechnica.com slash support, where you can sign up in seconds with a credit card, pitch in a few dollars a month or whatever you like. Some people actually contribute $100 a month to help us cover climate change and clean tech and try to help the world one word at a time. Thank you. Yeah, what what other, let me see, I've got to find these projects here. Oh, I also, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know, my mom met you, so probably you you you've heard that my great grandfather her grandfather was Cherokee Indian so you know if, if just feel like oh no, she didn't mention that yeah oh. so so yeah it, it, hearing about that is just you know it touches in a different way but also just I don't I mean I think most of us Americans who think about it feel a lot of re- remorse a lot of uh, guilt for what what was done to Native Americans so it's always and it's always heartening to hear about a positive program or project uh, connected to Native Americans. Can you speak a little bit more about how how that worked with them and, and your your process with them? Right, they they're amazing partners. A lot of the work of Clean Cities Coalitions is with fleet managers, and the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians has a transportation program called the Cherokee Boys Club. They manage they manage the school bus program. You can rent vehicles or transportation services from them. So they're separate. The school bus program is separate from being owned by their school system. They are a contract. So they have been, because they have so many different vehicles in this transportation program, they've been an amazing fleet partner for us for years. They've run biodiesel programs. They 
they look just like all of our other fleets in a lot of ways. They just happen to be the the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. Right now, the federal government has a Justice 40 initiative to spend 48% of the that federal investments that are coming through bipartisan infrastructure law, et cetera, in these underserved communities, tribal being one of them. And the Clean Cities program hopped on board with a specific kind of pilot called the CCEEJI, and it's environmental justice for these communities. We have been a pilot project within that initiative for the last few years. And this year, we were awarded some implementation funds to hire a community engagement liaison that could have been with any Justice 40, and that could be, you know, low income or lots of reasons that rural areas fall in line. We chose to go with the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians because of the partnership we have with them. We felt like they had a lot of potential to leverage program monies right now during this time frame. And that like the strike why the iron's hot and they have a lot of ideas. So they're not new to these conversations. They have, they have ideas that just need some money. They have unfinished projects that need some capacity. And we've added that to their team. So we hired somebody a few months ago as part of this project. She started, she hit the ground running. She's a member of the Eastern Man of Cherokee Indians has a lot of experience working in community development over there, and she's helped them kind of synthesize already some of uh, narrowing the scope of what they'd want to do. So we love working with them, and we're grateful that they're just such good partners. Very cool. I love it. Uh, yeah, we've covered the Justice 40 initiative several times, uh, different funding announcements or projects, pro- programs. I feel like it doesn't get nearly the attention it deserves, but you know, this is sort of across the board with this administration, it's very hard to get the attention that's deserved for like the bipartisan infrastructure law and the um, Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. They're humongous landmark pieces of legislation that are like as as good as you could uh, could get or imagine. It's some of the biggest stuff that's been done in a century. And, uh, and there's still so much like distraction around other issues and sort of steering of the conversation, splintering of the media that it doesn't get the attention it deserves, I think. Can you speak a bit about how you've worked on getting uh, EV charging, EV adoption going in, in uh, well, in Asheville, but also in the rural areas around Asheville or, or other parts of the state? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked that, Zach. We are the ones who keep a lot of the maps for where chargers are and are not in Asheville, there were, it's more of a metropolitan, it's got an urban center. We get to kind of watch that from the sidelines and make some recommendations. It's not uncommon for a charging company to reach out to us and ask where the potential is. When they call us for that, they're really looking for maybe a projection of where there isn't charging, but needs to be because there's a market. And, and that's at, where, where you expect growth as well or different. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where is, where is this growth heading as a regional planning commission? We, we watch that stuff pretty closely. So we have a good 
feel for that. Um, maybe we happen to know where big permits have been pulled for future development. That's a charging company just being smart about where they can make money. And that's great. We're happy to put them on the scent of, of where those opportunities could be for them. That will still leave behind a lot of where I like to go, where my colleagues and friends and we want to see we want to see the EV ability and accessibility to be across the country. And, and when I look at the region that I work in, that's a lot of rural areas where there's not a great market, so to speak, of why when, when the infrastructure is so expensive to deploy, we need to put them in those areas and then enter a grant program. So we work with site hosts and we work with the utilities and the charging companies uh, to find programs or opportunities for those areas. Specific to Western North Carolina, a lot of the money that has come through for alt fuel corridors just misses us. So it's it's easy to say, like, there's a lot of money coming for this. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Well, only if you qualify. And our experience is that we really didn't, uh, that we have to make some noise about why this is important. These are important commuter pathways for us. This is where we want to see opportunities. We want to draw the EV investment to them and vice versa. We want those people to feel comfortable buying an electric vehicle if that is their next choice. And they're not going to if they don't understand or see charging in their communities. So we have put in some bigger grants we're waiting to hear on. We continue to make noise about this and work on smaller projects with those local governments that understand, unfortunately, that big charging company probably isn't coming their way to set up shop without some work getting them there. So some of them will do level two charging in their downtown districts. Those are still really important projects. I can't emphasize that enough that a lot of the way we're looking at the fast charging network is really important. Most of my charging happens at the local grocery store parking lot, to be right. totally honest. And that opportunity to do that need is the, the need is still out there. And to ask all of those site hosts to front all of that cost for small businesses in rural areas, that's just not viable. For small towns, for any, any grocery store, even, you know, they they, they operate on pretty slim margins. So I think it is, I mean, that's where I do most of my charging. I I think it's an ideal place. There's a few places like that that I think are, are really where, where we should have a, a lot of EV chargers. Can you, I don't know how much you can speak to this, but can, can you give a, a view of kind of how the EV ownership community has evolved in that region? Around here, like, you know, in this area of Florida I'm in, we started seeing like you know Tesla's on every intersection a couple couple of years ago maybe a year yeah probably a couple of years ago and now there's like there you can't you can't be at an intersection not see a few or, or several but also in the past i would say 6 months i'm seeing like there's another kind of ev like everywhere i look like so also every intersection there's there's either an id4 or a or a Kia EV6 or Hyundai Ioniq 5 or a Mustang Mach-E. They're also like everywhere now. So I'm seeing just constantly there's a handful of EVs in sight when I'm driving around. It's been really fascinating to watch it evolve. Again, I don't have a great, like I, I don't have stats or like a definitive view of how the community has evolved, 
but I feel like it's it's entering a definitely like a mass market stage, a mass adoption stage where like all kinds of people who never really followed EV news or anything like that, they're getting one EV or another. And it's fascinating. So I, I'm curious what your view is of, of the community there on that kind of thing. We have a Blue Ridge Electric Vehicle Club here in, in Western North Carolina, and they put on several shows, big car shows a year. I'm with you that it used to be that electric vehicle was synonymous with Tesla. People, people still kind of don't even realize there are other options, but as somebody who watches the market pretty closely and, and under, and has a better feeling out for what the options are, the cars are getting sneaky, you know, that, that there are people who, who know what to look for. Yeah. I can't leave my house and not see three or four on my way to work at least. And Tesla still, I think, has a market share of that, but the diversity is is increasing significantly. So we we just had a car show a few weeks ago for Drive Electric Week with with the car club. We had over 90 cars there, and more of them were not Teslas than were. And and we've hit that tipping point wow. of That's... diversity and uh years of service. So like Bolts and BMW, some of these vehicles that have been around a little bit longer are starting to have a lot of friends now finally yeah yeah no i mean i that's that's a great view so it sounds very similar what you're experiencing there that's what what i've wondered sometimes i was like is this area special is it different how much is this kind of thing happening in other places of course Asheville is you know a special you know it's 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 a very progressive and it's it's also like uh i think quite quite wealthy area there's a high cost of living. Also, we're a few hours in any direction from a Tesla dealership or station. Oh, that's interesting. And, and so, so that might be seen, encouraging people to get non-Teslas, right? I think so. I think I think now that there are some other options that are at their local dealerships or they're seeing more of their friends or coworkers buy these things that the hassle or the appearance of the hassle of having to drive to some you know a few hours away is kind of discouraging so we we've heard whispers tesla is going to come to Asheville. i'm surprised it's not there but yeah i imagine it will be it may be a missed opportunity for them (laughs) it'll be there before too long but yeah no i mean the thing i you know i've been promoting the benefits of evs for over 10 years and so i'm well aware of why you would get an electric car but i still i continue to wonder like why did these people get an EV? Like what, what made, what stimulated them? Like how with Tesla's, you can sort of, there's a lot of show and tell. There's a lot of, Oh, my friend or family member has a Tesla and and I experienced it with all these other EVs. Like I've just, I'm very curious, like how are they getting interested in them and how are they getting into them? And uh, events like you talked about are one way I know, but just when it's hitting more and more the mass market, I was like, do they just go to a dealer? Do they, and there's, they get, they get interested in it do they see ads on tv do they have friends and family who have teslas or other evs and and then they they just prefer a a rivian or a volkswagen or something i don't know it's just it's a fascinating time in the ev era it's like we're finally hitting that real mass market adoption curve i think and uh just trying to get more insight into that is fun i think you you explained it but if you have anything to add on that go for it otherwise um we can switch to yeah how you deal with the the challenge of electrifying you know, in rural areas where the utilization rate is not going to be provide a good ROI for 
the charging station or the charging network provider. I mean, if you're at a route on a route, of course, between big cities where a lot of people are going to use it, that's one thing, but there's a lot of people. I, I guess the benefit is most people can charge at home, right? So there's not that need so much, right? Disagree. I think okay. the need there for, you know, for rural areas, it, well, for us, the roads that run through those rural areas are a highly trafficked, probably tourism is a main industry through there. And we want to, we want visitors and residents alike to be able to feel comfortable you know, going where they want to go. So we get that complaint fairly regularly that someone, an electric vehicle driver, can't charge anywhere nearby while they're staying at, say, Lake Jocassee or or Bryson City. Like they're looking for that convenience or security. And it's keeping, even if residents would charge at home, they need to see the chargers available to them to make that decision in order to get an electric vehicle. Because yeah, if they, especially, I think a lot of people don't realize. Like, there's always. I I remember being interviewed by like the Chicago Tribune or something like that, like eight years ago or something, and I talked for an hour about this stuff and explained the, how it's more convenient to have an EV than like the convenience of having an EV charging at home is is bigger than the inconvenience of not being able to fuel up in five minutes anywhere. And the story ended up being about range anxiety and blah, blah, blah. And I was oh. like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> they just picked like, they just picked, they had the story in mind. They wanted to write is the same story. Everybody writes at the time, you know, and, but, but you have this, this challenge of people not realizing that, that there's a greater convenience to having an EV typically, despite this less convenient public or, road trip ev charging experience and it's just so hard to get people to understand that i i someone was asking me about our tesla model 3 a few like a month ago and i tried to explain that it just it's so hard to explain but she she was saying that she you know they were thinking about getting a model y and a couple of weeks ago i saw they had the model y <laughs> and then i talked to her yesterday and and she was like yeah i get what you're saying now you know but it's just uh it's something that's hard to register because it's a different lifestyle. It's a different approach. Yeah. So you really need to see those chargers like you to, to be feeling confident, right? Yeah, you need to you need to feel like you're going to have options that if and and I'm spoiled. It sounds like you might be too that you have the luxury of charging at home. We still have a lot of apartment complexes that house yeah, hundreds, I, thousands of people that don't have a charger and might want an electric vehicle. Yeah, right? for, th for three or more years, we had no home charging. So we had EVs without home charging. So I'm well aware, like it's a whole <laughs> yeah. different thing. It's a whole different thing. I just think, you know, in, the, in those regions, you think a lot of people have home charging capability, but for sure in Asheville, downtown, downtown Asheville, you know, it's a different story. But, uh, but yeah, so sorry to interrupt, just um, keep going there and Right. It's, it's Asheville will see the most electric vehicles and that makes me feel like we need more charging that the adoption is higher in in Asheville and therefore to keep people from being in a situation where they might be stuck or they have to wait a long time at a charger, you know, like th that that influx is a little behind the curve at this point. You go out to a rural area and 
as an EV driver, you plan for that. You, But I think when mass adoption occurs, we have to account for a lot of errors in that system, right? Like the, that if you're an early adopter at this point, you have some of your wits about you on what the realities are. It's my job. It's our job to close those gaps so that we just make this more accessible and easy for everyone to travel the places they want to go in their car. Yeah. And I was even the past, I mean, even since the model three came out, there's, there's a lot of people getting EVs who, who don't know a lot, haven't read a lot about it and they're not fully prepared for every they don't necessarily, they might charge the car to 100% all the time and not realize it's not great for the battery unless they have a LFP battery, <laughs> lithium iron phosphate battery, or, you know, it's, there's a lot of nuance there and a lot of details that I think as we're ha- having mass adoption, people like you are really necessary and, and others to uh, to try to help fill those holes for, for the, making the transition smooth and easy. Last thing I have here is I, I think you were also promoting other large electric vehicles. Is that correct? Have you been involved in what are the the other large EVs that you've been working to promote? We work with the fleets around here and and follow the questions they ask us. So we hosted a week plus long of events that we called Fueling Change. It coincided with National Drive Electric Week. And part of that was we we are starting to get a lot more questions about larger vehicles. Certainly the buses are in play in, in a, a few transit applications in our region. We've got some off-road equipment and we see a huge potential for ag. So we had an electric equipment expo uh, as part of that event where we had ag equipment that was very, they brought out a Volvo, brought out a simulator and they're quiet. I mean, I, I can't say that enough. Like when I think of job sites and, and they push and pull and dig and it be quiet in your neighborhood, or this opens up a wealth of possibilities for a city that's trying to figure out when they can make all this noise, doing all of the construction projects we're all going to be doing at the same time of year. So you want to keep your streets quiet. This is a good way to do it. We saw, we also got asked to participate in a the waste recycling. So that's another application we get a lot of questions about is like the refuse trucks. So there's policy in play that's kind of encouraging, incentivizing waste reduction to head to an electrification model. They have some questions and concerns about that. We haven't seen that tech really show up, but they're getting pushed faster than the industry market is keeping up for them. So we, we've we been helping navigate what that could look like locally, um, trying to watch what's happening nationally, because our, our local guys are still, uh, we see a lot of diesel and CNG. If they have to meet different sorts of reduction models, or if they're asked to go electric, what is that going to mean for them? Yeah, we just a few episodes ago, we had an interview with um, someone from Skanska, who is using the largest electric excavator in the world. I think there's four of them in the US at the moment. It's from Volvo. And uh, it's in LA, they're they're working on the extension of the purple line there, the metro line. But it's, it's it's interesting, because like week after week, there's another large electric vehicle that's popping up. They're like, Oh, wow, that's cool. 
I, re- yeah. so I was impressed that you were already promoting some of these because it seems very like early stage and, and, and cutting edge. But again, it sounds like that's what you're all about. You're, <laughs> you're very cutting edge, early stage innovate, innovation there at uh, <laughs> Land of Sky Clean Vehicles Coalition. So yeah, I think that's, that's a lot of fun stuff. Do you have anything that we didn't cover that you want to touch on? Or is that a wrap? I think that's a wrap, Zach. I uh, really appreciate it. Appreciate your work up there. Have to get up there sometime and and uh, experience in person some of the stuff you're you're doing, what you're, what you're working on. But uh, thanks for doing what you're doing. We'll get the word out more broadly and hopefully inspire more of uh, more other clean cities programs or clean vehicle programs or just people in general to to take up the the torch and do similar stuff. Great, thank we'll you. Have to- see that really good electric school bus race sometime on, on YouTube. I'll, <laughs> if I ever do, I'll be sure to think of you and send you the, send you the link. <laughs> the school bus races that you see on YouTube are terrifying. The figure oh eight. My. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't go there. <laughs> and the, the straight race, I think do doable. The figure eights are terrifying. They're not I would made for that. In a half million dollar bus for sure. <laughs> no, they're not made for that. It's really not. A... <laughs> no. All, right. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks.